Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Undiluted Truth. Coming to you from All Seasons Tabletop Studio. Do not forget to like, subscribe, and share. Also, do not forget our email, which is theundilutedtruth.podcast at gmail.com. I am Ben. And now, let's welcome in our host. Wait. Let's not welcome in our host just yet because Ben forgot one thing. So, today's episode is New Unheard Progress Report on U.S. Health Failures by Dr. Peter McCulloch. And now, let's welcome in our host, Mike. Well, hello, Ben. Hey, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Yeah. Good. Great. Can't wait to hear what you got for us today, well, you know, it's, as it's, our listeners are well, know, just, waiting. Uh, just in my rock tumbling, we have, uh, obviously, Dr. Peter McCulloch. And this is this is a little different here as I shuffle my papers over no, here, as right. you can probably hear. I, I could hear uh, that. But we, are, we have not done any interviews off of uh, this platform before, which uh, to me, it doesn't matter who Dr. Peter McCulloch is on. He, you know, his credentials speak for themselves. But this, this one is off of uh, the American Thought Leader, uh, which is a, mm. a, a, an epoch time or, or epic time. I'm not sure exactly how I always thought it was E-P-O-C-H was epic time oh, yeah uh, i've okay. heard it i've heard it said both ways epoch, most yeah. people are calling it epoch times uh but the interviewer is dr jan yakalik um and uh it, it's excellent but peter mcculloch for those who have not heard of him is an, an internist cardiologist and an epi epidemi easy for me to say epidemiologist epi, epidemi you know epi, epidemiologist, epidemiologist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah one of those yeah epidemiology yeah. yeah there you go but yeah one of those we'll get through he discusses uh, successful treatment he, he amongst other things this is uh this is a, just an outstanding interview vares and his experience over the last two years and uh you know did you know that dr peter mcculloch has been published in medical uh, uh journals journals or or volumes okay. uh, uh, over six hundred times. Wow! No, yeah, I, I was six, not, over six hundred times. I did not know that. I no. think he mentions he gets into a little bit of his background, and I think, but I do know that it was over six hundred times, and not just anybody gets published through these journals of you know, say the New England Journal of Medicine, and you know, you've got the Lancet and and right. other, and others like that. Uh, so, I think. The one thing that should come out in this is that Dr. Peter McCulloch is taking what we've been going through over the past couple of years seriously and that he is a doctor that cares and wants to help the people around him, which unfortunately seems to be the minority of health professionals these days. Yeah, And, you know, we, we say this quite often, Ben, that some professionals we 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 believe really don't know exactly what's taking place they're simply following cdc guidelines or, right. or fda and and that yeah. sort of thing and they're just blindly turning people away or not treating them or or or, or whatever uh 
This, ladies and gentlemen, this interview helps understand what has been going on and and why people are acting the way that they're acting and how how we should sort of uh, I I guess think about these things as far as not everyone is mm-hmm. nefarious. Now, yes. do we right. believe that there are some? Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. And that's one thing that I like about uh, Dr. McCullough because he is not one that easily is ready to call some of his colleagues, you know, on the carpet. He will in a very, I should say, in a very professional and careful way. Right. Uh, you'll get you'll get the message. So, mm. anyway, uh, that's where we are. And once again, welcome uh, all of you. Truth Seekers and Rock Tumblers to another episode of The Undiluted Truth. And uh, we are, this is what, we're over 55 episodes now, is that right, or close to it? Are we? Have we got up to we're, the... We're releasing, as of this recording tonight, which is a Thursday night, we're releasing, I believe, episode 54. Ah, so okay, so yeah, we're, we're... We're a couple head on the recording. Yeah, almost right to the minimum yeah. speed limit of yeah, yeah. 55, right. so... Well, I, I just want to take a quick second, a, a quick minute here to to encourage those who are listening to utilize our email, which which been read out, and it is on the the link that we uh, the links that we put out. But, the description, right? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us an idea if there's things, topics that you want to hear, and you know the obvious is. You know, all of the veins that have run off of the last two years, you know, which almost can't be helped, but we don't really want to become one lane or two lanes. Right. Uh, exactly. So please send us emails and, you know, just send us a request. Hey, we would like to, you know, have you heard about this or that? We would like to hear what you guys think about this. Uh, now, we are constantly doing research, um, and there's other things that we come across. And sometimes when we spend time researching it, the the catalog gets so full, <laughs> we're not sure what to right, pull yeah. out. And we yeah. want to try to pull out things that are current. You know, it, 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 we don't want to go, okay, well, we'll do that one. And then that'll come out in two yeah. months. And then two months down the road, they're, why are these guys still talking about that? You yeah, know, that's, that's old uh, news on there already. Yeah, yeah, so that's the difficulty. So we, we, you know, we want to talk about things that are important. We want to talk about things that are ac- actually truth. And we also want to be able to present things in such a way that they're intriguing, that they're uh, they're kind of, uh, uh, in in a way, they're, they're eyebrow-raising, r- r- uh, yeah. you know, yeah. maybe some things that no one has heard because it is hard to find the truth these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more incur- uh, more importantly, to encourage those uh, that are listening, because I can tell you, if if I'm not inspired by what I find in research, t- I'm not sharing it, yeah. you know, not yeah. at all. So uh, that makes anyway, sense. We, we we thank you you guys again for listening. Uh, and as Ben said, please like, uh, uh, subscribe, uh, do what you need to do to follow. Uh, we appreciate it once again. And uh, we look forward to this particular episode. And we, we hope you guys enjoy this. And without further procrastination or delay, yeah. <laughs> uh, here we go. All right. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellek. Dr. Peter McCullough, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Jan, thanks for having me. 
I guess a lot of people have been interested in what you have to say, or even more interested in what you have to say. Basically, methods of providing therapeutic treatment for COVID-19 or CCP virus, as we call it at the Epoch Times, um, you actually treat patients yourself doing this. And this, I, this is something that I think a lot of people might not know about. So just tell me a little bit more about your actual medical practice. You know, over the last two years, in a sense, I've completed a fellowship in infectious disease. No doctor had seen SARS-CoV-2 infection uh, before. Uh, no doctor had actually treated COVID-19 illness before. Uh, so as a medical doctor, a medical specialist who's broad, I maintain my, uh, my practice in internal medicine and cardiology, adult diseases. Uh, I took on the challenge of treating each and every one of my high-risk patients with my best efforts and avoiding two bad outcomes, hospitalization and death. And, that, and that's actually interesting because, uh, you know, very early on, there was this thought that there really was no way to deal with it outside of a hospital. There was an assumption, uh, and it's an unusual assumption, I've never seen it made in medicine, that an illness could not be treated in the pre-hospital phase. I've never seen a mass assumption be made instantaneously. It was made from the outset, from the very first patient, there was an assumption that this illness is untreatable until the patient crosses the threshold into the hospital. Now what's behind that assumption? Um, I think what's behind that assumption is fear and self-preservation. Uh, clinics, nurses, um, other healthcare providers, doctors, they actually felt encountering a patient in the pre-hospital phase was risky to them and would potentially risk other patients in terms of contamination of clinics, offices, other types of uh, uh, treatment venues. And so therefore, the pre-hospital phase was considered, in a sense, off-limits, and it became mentally convenient uh, for people to justify it and say, well, it's just not treatable. You know, I, I would love to treat patients, except for it's simply not treatable. Um, but not treatable from the very beginning, and now still not treatable two years later, uh, I think everybody listening to this understand uh, that something just isn't right with that, with that base assumption. Yeah, uh, yeah, jump in here real quick. And for you guys that uh, haven't uh, listened to us, this is how we roll with these clips. We'll we'll uh, cut them off and pop in uh, occasionally, just to expound on on one or two areas. I wanted to highlight one thing that he, he and and I think he's exactly right. The the fear factor, if you will. Oh yeah. Uh, that yeah. There, there are people that are afraid. You know, if 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 you've got the full blown you know uh, virus, don't come in because. You know, we need to wait until you're basically you're in dire straits before we we treat you because we we don't want it because you know we could die and and you know right. all all of what has been you know propagated and put out there, um, mm -hmm. but you know he used that as one of the primary reasons, and I'm not sure if later on in in any any part of this interview he brings it up, but I think he does. But I mean, we know. I, I and I wanted to bring this up right now. We know why why most of those uh, facilities and doctors and and medical professionals weren't treating as it as it kept moving on uh, down the line. Right. Early early on, I think that was it. But I think it eventually yeah. got quickly into. Well, we're not going to treat because we've been told if we treat, you know, this way or that way, we could lose our license, we could lose all kinds of privileges, uh, and so forth. So we are just waiting to hear 
from the CDC and the federal government on, well, how do we treat? Right. And, and, and that goes totally against what doctors do. Yeah. So. And I, um, and I was just going to say something really quick, which might is slightly off topic from what you're saying, but um, it's part of the, the math that didn't add up at the beginning for me. Like, yeah, everybody was like, well, get tested, go to the hospital type of thing. And it's like, now, at first, I didn't understand that this was, and I don't know who, quote, knew this first, right? I don't know if hospitals testing this could have found out that this is SARS-CoV-2, in other words, which is part of a standard flu, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, But what I'm getting at here is wherever that was that they discovered that, so to speak, that this is SARS-CoV-2, which is kind of a standard flu— why all the panic if it's part of a flu, you have flu season, you deal with it. You know, flu is treatable. We know, you know, we know this. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, where'd that panic come from to begin with? You know what I mean? That That's kind of the question that popped in my head when he was saying this. It's like, well, where did that come from? Because somebody had to know that this is SARS-CoV-2. Okay. And, you know, that's kind of what I was saying, but maybe he's going to get... To some of that, or, well, or something. Well, yeah. If you if you remember what he said prior to that fear part, he was talking about how this has never happened when no doctor knew how to treat this infection, right? Yeah, at an early stage, right? Right. Okay. So keep in mind, I think they knew they called it SARS two or a part of a Corona strain early on. Yeah, it was called Corona at that, first. That's true. That didn't dawn on me. Right. Well, right. And, yeah. and and based on the Fleming yeah. the Fleming method, you know, uh, uh, Doctor Fleming got into it uh, in in much more detail because yeah, that's when we clearly seen that what occurs is COVID. That's the what's called COVID, the inflammothrombotic disease or response. Absolutely, and that's the infection. The virus is 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 SARS two corona, right? Okay, the infection is is COVID. Got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm with you now. I'm with you. But I, I, I thought the fact that uh, no doctor knew how to treat that early on. Yeah, see what I'm saying? Right. Uh, which was interesting to me, but there's there's a lot of other history, and we can keep going and going. But yeah. I don't want to take any more of uh, <laughs> right. No, I, I wasn't, Dr. McCullough's yeah, I wasn't time, trying but, to. But there, you know, for you guys listening, take take notes or whatever. And uh, of course, the neat thing is, is you can you can play this back. So anyway, yeah. uh, we're going to continue on here with uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. All right. So, and I want to talk a lot about that too, because of course there are at least there's at least a couple that I'm aware of of treatments which are I think licensed by the FDA. Let's talk about that in a moment. Before we go there, I mean you're you are actually chief editor of a major medical journal which is cardiorenal medicine, right? I've heard that you're the most published in that particular field. How is it that you at the same time manage to have a practice and did this practice just spin up around covid or did this exist on its own before? Yeah, I'm entering my fourth decade of clinical practice. So Whoa. I maintain board certifications in internal medicine and cardiology. I was in the first year of the American Board Internal Medicine Program, what's called maintenance of certification. So I've actually certified now uh, multiple times in internal medicine. Every 10 years, recertify. And that's kind of a knowledge check 
uh, as well as in cardiovascular diseases. And I had a period of time where I practiced as an internist before I went and trained in cardiology. And additionally, I trained in epidemiology, which is the study of the distribution and determinants of disease. Uh, but my research area has been a multidisciplinary research area from the very beginning, and that's the study of how the heart and the kidneys are inextricably linked through a whole series of hormonal and neural, uh, as well as physiochemical systems. And uh, these systems turn out to be incredibly key uh, diagnostic and therapeutic targets in medicine, extraordinarily key. And so these discoveries in this field of cardiorenal medicine, in a sense, brought up this, this field of which many have made contributions. I've been privileged uh, to be the editor-in-chief for many years of cardiorenal medicine, a, a journal that uh, the publisher is Karger out of Basel, Switzerland. I'm no longer in that uh, position. I've been the editor-in-chief uh, now for many years of Reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine, a journal uh, that was originally uh, published out of Med Reviews in New York City. Now it's published out of uh, Med Reviews. The company is relocated to Hong Kong. So I've been working with the Hong Kong office now uh, for years, uh, and that journal has steadily grown in terms of its impact factor. I'm uh, the editor in chief of the very first textbook, the first edition, uh, Cardiorenal Medicine. And I've been honored to publish the textbook chapter in Braunwald's textbook of cardiology, which is considered the Bible of cardiology, and the title of my chapter is The Interface Between Heart and Kidney Disease. Uh, so for the longest time uh, in medicine, and I've lectured uh, around the world, I've lectured at uh, meetings held by the National Institutes of Health, other uh, government uh, agencies, I've been on the Day Safety Monitoring Board of National Institutes of Health, uh, clinical, trials, tr clinical trials by um, uh, big pharmaceutical companies and individual diagnostic companies. I've been honored to be on the steering committee and executive committee of these uh, large trials. Uh, you know, I am in the circles of doctors working both with cardiology, nephrology, and internal medicine uh, in order to advance the field. And in doing so, I have over 660 peer-reviewed publications in the National Library of Medicine. In many of them, I'm the first or senior author. Those are the most responsible positions. Sometimes I'm carried on, uh, in an author block because I'm part of an investigative group. Uh, but in COVID-19 now, because of its all-encompassing uh, nature, how dominant it's been in medicine, uh, in my view, uh, the really top medicine specialists from a whole array of disciplines have stepped forward uh, to combat this crisis. Uh, and in COVID-19 now, in, in the National Library of Medicine PubMed, I have 52 citations uh, when my name is searched in that uh, database. Wow. And importantly, that's basically the anchor that we have in medicine mm. in terms of medical history, and that's, that's forever. And in there, I have the two seminal publications that talk to our, taught doctors how to treat COVID-19 in the pre-hospital phase, breaking that assumption that it was untreatable. And the principles we used in those papers mm. was that uh, this is a mass casualty event, that uh, we cannot wait for large randomized trials. When I mean large trials in cardiology, we're talking 20,000 to 40,000 patient trials. And because this is a complicated illness, a single drug uh, can't possibly treat it. That means we need multiple drugs in combination. Uh, those types of clinical trials have not even been planned yet. And we know that the guidelines that our uh, various societies, like the Infectious Disease Society of America or the Manhattan College of Physicians, or that the NIH or the CDC would rely on, those guidelines rely on large clinical trials. So we knew from the very beginning, and I knew specifically, that there was no hope to save lives 
if we waited for large clinical trials and we waited for government bodies to provide guidelines or protocols for us to follow. I knew there was a time, that, which is now, uh, to take action. Uh, that was from the very beginning. And the only delays that there were from the onset of the pandemic, which uh, basically hit in uh, February of 2020, to our seminal publication in the American Journal of Medicine in August of 2020, was simply the quick acquisition of knowledge and clinical experience. So it took both uh, uh, surveying the medical literature, talking to doctors, treating patients in the hospital, uh, talking to doctors and getting experience treating the illness myself, which I did, and getting these principles together, getting a manuscript written, getting every authors to agree and sign off, and getting submitted through the peer review publications with um, edits and changes, Gailey proofs, contracting, copywriting, and then publication. That's as fast as it could be done. Mm. And I can tell you, August 2020 was a real landmark. It was August 7th, actually, 2020, a landmark day in medicine. The very first paper that taught doctors how to treat COVID-19 was published. It instantaneously became the most downloaded paper in all of COVID-19 outpatient. The world was basically thirsting for an approach of how could we possibly treat COVID-19. Now, when that paper was submitted, I did a quick check on PubMed. There were 55,000 papers published in the literature, people describing different aspects of the virus, and some of them describing some leads on treatment, but not a single paper that basically said, step one, how would we approach the illness and how could we possibly treat it? And wow. Mm. So a, a couple of things. Uh, let's, let's start there at the end. Uh, I think that's, that's pretty impressive. So right. uh, you know, he's, he's working on this thing. You kind of hear, man, where he, you know, this thing, this thing, really is at a place to where we need to get on top of it. Yeah. And he's doing everything again to, to try to learn what uh, what he can to be able to treat it. Mm-hmm. And now uh, what they've got on PubMed is, is they had 55,000, it sounds like, uh, different you know uh, correspondence to talk about how to treat it. But he said it was never, okay, step one, step two, step three. And, right. I, and I think that yeah. has a lot to do with what he was saying before, that we don't have time for clinical trials like we are used to. We can't wait for all of this to be done, these great big clinical trials. It, it could take years. Right. We don't have years. We need to get on top of this now. Uh, so I, I, I can really appreciate that. And then, of course, 660, he said, uh, publications that he had and was right. it 52 citations or whatever. Yes. Uh, and he said those, th- those citations are forever. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, He's his credentials are are just irrefutable, um, just so impressive, and he's just and 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 I can appreciate uh, the, the interviewer uh, asking him these questions because I think it's important to know who you're listening to, and yeah. and in addition to that, he's actually treating mm-hmm. patients. He's involved. Yes. He's involved. Yes. So anyway, absolutely good stuff. Here we go. And so that was a breakthrough paper. Well, and you've kept treating patients, actually, and sort of honing these protocols that you that you developed back then. So how, just out of curiosity, how many patients have you treated? Um, My estimates are I'm probably over 200 patients directly treating, where they contact me and they're directly sick with COVID-19 and they're directly treated. And I think I'm easily over 1,000 where I've provided external advice, which is very common now as other doctors reach out and say, you know, I have a patient here 
uh, or uh, you know, a, a doctor who's got a family member, etc. Those are common scenarios since the disease is so pervasive. But I've advised on treatment uh, as far as uh, Russia, uh, Malaysia, uh, through Australia, South Africa, certainly Canada, the UK, EU, North America, South America. So it's a broad reach. And I, I try to help people the best I can. You're right. I treated patients all the way through. I gained clinical experience. I learned from those who even had more clinical experience. There are doctors in my circles now who have treated thousands of patients. They have a very good handle on this illness. And uh, the knowledge base grew so quickly through 2020 where we rapidly had data on additional drugs. Then we had the first emergency use authorized agents that we could use that uh, our paper in American Journal of Medicine uh, from a um, from a contemporary perspective, uh, needed to be updated basically within four months, which is what we did in December of 2020 in reviews in cardiovascular medicine, the journal that I edit. Uh, I commissioned a separate COVID-19 treatment supplement. I assigned a separate editor to that process so there would be no conflict of interest. And on that paper, I expanded the author base to 57 authors, mm-hmm. including myself, but I wanted doctors to provide input who were treating the masses. They were treating thousands of patients. I wanted all different types of ideas on the table. And that produced the um, December 2020 paper in Reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine. The title of that paper was Sequence Multidrug Therapy for Ambulatory COVID-19. And through the American Journal of Medicine process and Reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine, the home treatment guide from the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons was created that became the most downloaded and utilized document that I'm aware of to the public on COVID-19. And it's been downloaded and shared millions and millions of times. It may have been responsible for sparing tens of millions of hospitalizations and probably hundreds of thousands of lives. Now, that's important. Uh, I mm. wonder how many people yeah. know this. There was a home treatment plan that was put out. Because yeah. basically what I'm hearing here, Ben, is... There's nothing to worry about, really. I mean, it's, I mean, it, it, there's there's no room for fear because we can treat this. Mm-hmm. And he just said this could have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. Just this treatment plan, and these different yeah. doctors are out, you know, kind of, you know, through conversation, getting it done, basically. Right. I mean, do you have that one? Or you you don't have that plan, do you? I do not. Uh, he, he the, you know, on, on the uh, interview and the, the picture of it, but oh, okay. I do not have that plan. He's he's going to talk about uh, okay, some gotcha. some yeah. other actual so called plans, but uh, all right, sounds uh, good. Yeah. So anyway, I just think you know uh, that's worth emphasizing. Hey, there's treatments out there, and have been treatments out there for some time now. Mm-hmm. So, but he's gonna continue on here uh, as far as that topic and and kind of driving into another one. Okay. Here we go. I mean, this is really fascinating because we're in this, uh, let's call it a realm of a lot of messaging, a lot of misinformation, a lot of disinformation. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's hard to know, um, Mm -hmm. you know, what information is authentic, what information is credible, what information is not. Good question. It's good to know that this guide that you're explaining, uh, you know, is actually based on a rigorously peer-reviewed scientific paper, the second version of which came out in 2020. That's, I did not know that until this moment. We Mm. put as many 
uh, references as we possibly could, and the knowledge base continues to expand. So uh, the therapeutic agent that has the most publications on it was the very first agent used, hydroxychloroquine. There's over 300 supportive studies. Next in line is ivermectin, over 63 supportive studies. And then after that, we have uh, supportive uh, uh, randomized trials, meta-analyses on corticosteroids. We have uh, prospective cohort studies, and now some limited randomized trials on anticoagulants. We have other anti-inflammatories. Many don't know that the largest, highest quality, prospective, randomized, placebo-controlled a clinical trial of COVID-19 was actually done with colchicine, an anti-inflammatory drug, and it was done out of the Montreal Heart Institute, and it's called the co-corona trial. It basically blows away all the other therapeutic trials in terms of quality, and it dramatically reduced hospitalization and death. So one of the challenges is uh, the published scientific information, peer-reviewed and in the journals as information, is just the dissemination of the information. Mm. Mm. So when we have these uh, oral uh, therapies, because no government in the world and no public health agency in the world has basically commissioned a continual review of the therapeutic opportunities for patients all over the world. My, my, my personal expectation as a citizen is in the middle of a crisis, our agencies would be on a monthly basis updating uh, the countries and the uh, you know, population at large on therapeutic advances. And it should change each month, but there should be a thorough review. There should be a careful, thorough, published review. That's what we're paying our public health officials for. You know, there's actually two drugs that I'm aware of that are actually FDA approved. I think I mentioned that before. Um, of course, monoclonal antibodies, which uh, I've heard have reduced efficacy against Omicron. We'll do a whole thing on Omicron in a moment. Um, and then the other one, fluvoxamine, right? Is, did I get that name? Did I get the name right? No. Uh, okay, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna pause it right here. That's probably a good stopping point with that that new question. Um, mm. But I I really like the way he ended up. Um, and you know, this is interesting listening to him. Yeah. Here and and well, I'm gonna just say real time, even though it's real time being it's current. Mm-hmm. Um. Because he's sharing some things, you know, I mean, things that we wouldn't know. Like, for instance, you know, they should be reviewing this stuff monthly. You would think. You know, and and seeing what is, you know, what is working and, and, and basically, okay, where where are we? And, and, and basically, yeah, just, absolutely. just doing an evaluation every month, every month, every month, and it's not being done. Right. You know, yeah. and then... Of course, he lays out some things that that we have known about, you know, the other products. But he, he mentioned that other thing. It was called chlor, chlor, chlorocol, or something to that effect. I can go back. So, and, yeah, I'm going to go back and okay. get that before we start back up. But okay. he, and he was saying that it was this was blowing, you know, the the the, uh, the virus and 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 whatnot out of the water. I mean, people were really responding well to this particular drug. Um, never heard of it, you know. So yeah. you're already sensing a little bit of, even though, you know, his demeanor kind of stays steady, uh, but it, it, you can already start sensing things aren't quite right mm-hmm. in in right. this country. Uh, yeah. Things aren't happening the way that he's accustomed to them happening. And he said, 
was it four decades he's been doing this? Four decades, yeah. Forty years. And he has sat on on a number of boards and, and committees, and really his uh, his experience really speaks for itself. So uh, mm. I have to wrap up on this one. Uh, we definitely have uh, the uh, part two of this, this particular interview here, and we will continue that after a moment. After the break. Yeah. yeah. At, so at, to speak. After the break, like <laughs> like before. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and the million-dollar question is, are we recording this? Uh, oh, we are. Oh, what the, yeah. boy. You can't get much past us then. Nope. Yeah, nope. we're all we're, over. We're good. Okay. Well, I hope, uh, hope all of you other rock tumblers out there are, are appreciating this. We're going to dig right back into it on our next episode. Uh, so uh, don't delay. Don't go too far away from your... Uh, from from your accessories uh, as far as uh, how you access our, our podcast and such. So we will close out with a word of prayer. All right. Father in heaven, once again, we thank you for this opportunity to reach your people, That uh, those of us that are seeking truth, uh, those of us that maybe are just seeking information. Uh, and we pray that uh, the seeking is sincere in the ones uh, that are uh, listening to us today. We we pray for a, a special prayer upon them that, that they will be fulfilled um, and, and their families or any loved ones. Uh, the, the, the information that we have will help them maybe be advocates uh, to their loved ones or anyone they know, even themselves, that have to maybe enter into a medical facility because of any virus as far as that goes because this is... Uh, this is becoming really, really unknown to all of us. So thank you again for uh, Dr. Peter McCulloch and all that he's doing. A uh, special blessing uh, be rained down upon him. And, and just may your truth through all of these people be heard. We pray as we part ways that, and ask that every intent of our thought be pure. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 